And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Yo, yo, welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. It's been a minute. It's been a couple weeks since the last pod. I think the last one was after the Tai Lu hiring, uh, so it actually has been a few weeks. But joining me to break down the Clippers 2020 draft night, Justin Russo, a.k.a. Fly by Night. Justin, how are you doing? Just trudging along, <laughs> trying to get to the end of the year, you know, like everybody else. I, d- don't lie. Don't don't come on this podcast and lie. I know you're heartbroken right now, okay? I, I know a little you're bit. upset. A little bit. Um, do, do you want to just get into it? Let's get into it. So okay. to recap the Clippers 2020 draft night, they they started the night um, with a, a shocking three-team trade. Um, maybe shocking is not the right word. I, I guess shocking for like the way it went down. Um, out of I, nowhere. Out of nowhere. I mean, and this is just how the Clippers operate. They, they you know, move in silence and um, have these deals that just come out of nowhere. So a three-team trade between the Clippers, the Brooklyn Nets, and the Detroit Pistons. In the trade, the Clippers get Luke Kennard, and they send out Landry Shamit uh, to Brooklyn and Rodney Magruder to Detroit. Uh, and then the Pistons also got the number 19 pick from Brooklyn. Um, so this was the trade of the night. Um, you know, quick, quickly, I'll, I'll just mention before we, we get back into this Landry, um, Luke Kennard trade, uh, the Clippers also acquired Daniel Oturo, uh, the number 33 pick from the New York Knicks. They traded a 2023 uh, second round pick for him. And then they also traded, um, the number 57 pick, uh, w- which was Reggie Perry to Brooklyn for the number 55 pick, which was Jay Scrubb. So, uh, By the up, way, we don't know what the hell that trade was. We don't. We we don't know why. You know, I, I thought I was wondering at first. Um, I thought they was, screwed up. If well, I was wondering at first if they expanded um, the original three team trade, and then I was told that wasn't the case. But I I don't know. Um, it, it is weird. Like why couldn't the you know Nets have just drafted Reggie Perry and then the Clippers drafted Jay Scrub? But um, you know maybe there was some fear that. Uh, you know, scrub was going to be taken at the 50 you know, number 56 pick for the, the Clippers. But you got to think in that case, they sent something to Brooklyn to entice them to make that deal. So, um, you know, and uh, th- there had also been some talk, uh, our, our John Hollinger at the athletic um, and Bobby Marks uh, of ESPN had mentioned that um, Brooklyn might have to send something out to the Clippers in, in the three team deal. Um, maybe Rodney Kuroks uh, or, or something, some other piece, just so every uh, part of the yeah everyone's touching every each team other has in, to touch each other in yeah. the trade so they're gonna have to send something whether it's cash a pick uh, a player um, something so um, th- this trade isn't I guess in its final um, evolution yet but pretty much the, the skeleton of it uh, was you know the Luke for for you know 
Clipper trading out Landry and, and Rodney and getting back Luke Kennard. Um, so let's get into that. For me, uh, there are three benefits to this trade. Uh, I think it's overall a really good trade for the Clippers. Um, anytime you can do a two for one trade and you get the best player, um, you know that is the way to do a two for one trade. Uh, but but the three things for me really are Luke Kennard is the best player in this trade. Um, he, he's not without his warts. He's not without some injury concern. But at this point, up to this point, um, I do think there's like similar talent wise, skill wise. Um, but Luke Kennard is better than Landry Shamit, you know, up to this point in their respective careers. Um, so the Clippers did get the best player. They did do a talent upgrade. Uh, point two would be dumping Rodney Magruder, which you kind of knew they were going to have to attach something to get rid of Rodney Magruder's contract. Um, but that clears up two million in cap space for next season and five million in cap space for the season after that. Um, so you know, getting rid of a, a a player that clearly you know was coming off a career worst season didn't really fit in the rotation, and then also clearing some money off the books. And then the third point would be just opening up a, another roster spot and really putting that uh, non taxpayer mid level exception uh, in the mix. And you know, if Montrezl Harrell or Marcus Morris doesn't return. It looks like they will, you know, comfortably be in that range to use that um, somewhere in that like 9.3, 9.5 million range starting out. So which of those three points, you know, Kennard versus Landry, dumping Rodney and clearing the space or opening up a roster spot, do you find most interesting? So as someone who did an entire video several weeks ago about <laughs> how Landry Shamit is perfectly in the Kyle Corver role in Ty Lue's offensive system, that is the one that piques my interest the most because think about it, man. Like this is a guy who moves so well off the ball in terms of Landry Shamit and he fits in that system perfectly. But then we kept hearing the Clippers wanted more ball handling, more ball handling, more ball handling. And this makes this trade makes sense from that standpoint. Like when you actually compare the two guys, Kennard and Shamit, they have identical three point percentages in their careers, 40.2%. And the difference in volume is like 45 threes total. That's it over their careers. So in terms of attempts, so you're talking similar volume, same percentage. So in theory, you're not losing much in the shooting, but you're gaining so much in ball handling and passing and secondary creation and ability to do more things in the half court. And I like Luke Kennard. Don't get me wrong. I like Luke Kennard. But as someone who did an entire video on Landry Shamit, it really paid me because I was like, I, I wasted these hours for nothing, you know? And I don't want to spill the beans, but I've been working on a Navitza Zubats video. And I literally stopped two days ago out of fear that something <laughs> would happen. And something happened, but just not with him. So th this is a good time to do the, the Landry Shamit obituary uh, from a Clippers perspective. He's not uh, dead. Well, for, from from the team, like oh, you know, uh, so I, I think Phew. you know clearly he was mismanaged in his second season. Um, I, I think most of that is on the Clippers. I, I do think some of that is circumstance and, and you know injuries and um, you know he it always felt like something went wrong for him this season. Whether it was like you know starts the season off well, then like Paul George comes back and, and then that kind of adjusts his role and then. He kind of readjusts to that, and then he gets injured, and, and then he comes back, um, and, and then you know it just his, his minutes aren't consistent, and then eventually he, he had that streak. Um, you know, I'm sure you remember from January to February 
where he was playing really well. I think he had seven or eight consecutive double digit scoring games. And then they bring in Reggie Jack, you know, then it's the all-star break. Then they bring in Reggie Jackson and, and then his role is never the same. So um, it, it was just kind of a lot of, of stops and starts w- with Landry this season. But, um, you know, coming off of that rookie season, which I don't think people really contextualize in in the proper form of, you know, I, you know, I, I wrote about this multiple times, like, it was arguably the second best three-point shooting season for a rookie besides Steph Curry in NBA history. And for him to come off that looking like a, a carbon copy uh, of J.J. Redick with, with potentially better you know, ball handling and playmaking and, and even better defense, like you know, his second season was a disappointment. And um, you know, I do think the Clippers didn't prioritize his development. I, I, I think they didn't prioritize Ivica Zubac's development. Um, and, and I think they mismanaged both of those guys during the season. Um, so part of that is on the Clippers. Part of it's on Landry too. He, he didn't have a great shooting season. Um, it, it did feel like there were times he had opportunities and, and, and maybe those opportunities were fleeting and, and maybe they were high pressure in that like you have to perform in this five-minute stint. Otherwise, you're not going to play much. Um, but he, he didn't always perform. And, and you know he didn't make the shots that um, you, you felt he had to make. So... Part of it is on him. Part of it is on on, on the circumstances of the season and, and his injuries and stuff. But um, I do think this was a failure on the Clippers' part. And it is going to be interesting to see how his career plays out from this point. Um, because based on his rookie season, what he did in Philly, what he did with the Clippers in, in that second half of the season, um, you know, I, I was high on his potential. I felt he could grow into a starting level player. I still think that's the case, but um, it's not going to be with the Clippers. Right. Um, it's really interesting because you like the way I described it when I wrote about it tonight was waffling. He was waffling in and out of the lineup, not because of, you know, something he did all the time or anything like that. Like he would get injured or someone else, like, you know, Reggie Jackson would come in and take some of his minutes and all the, all these things added up to where you could just see that this guy wasn't getting the role that he thought he should get and what others outside looking in thought he should get, you know, early in the season, he's playing very well, gets the ankle injuries out for a while, comes back, plays well, season goes on hiatus. And then, you know, well, Reggie Jackson comes in, season goes on hiatus. He gets COVID. He's late into the, into the bubble. You know, he's trying to find his footing, gets another foot injury. And then he ends up starting, you know, games three, four, five, six, in the first round against Dallas and plays very well as the starter. And in my opinion, kind of saved them mm-hmm. be- because they were struggling and he makes 50% of his threes. He was 11 of 22 from three in those four games, helps them get out of the first round. You know, Pat Bev gets healthy. Landry Landry's minutes go down. His production goes down because his role goes down. And it's like, it's just, it was like just such a roller coaster. But I do want to say like, we cannot overlook the good things this guy did. Like I mentioned the Dallas series, how well he played in those four, those last four games. He also hit one of the biggest shots in the history of the franchise. Like I'd maybe posit the biggest, like it's arguable. Yeah. Coming back from 31 on the road against the two time defending, you know, super team warriors. And he, as a rookie knocks it down with Draymond green, closing out on him and the game on the line, you know, like, no one can take that away from him, no matter how hard they try. Like he, he, he helped and it sucks to see him go. Cause he seemed like a good guy. Like he is a good, good guy. Like all these things. I wanted nothing but the best for him. I still want nothing but the best for him. I hope he goes to Brooklyn or if he gets traded from Brooklyn in a hardened package, potentially like who knows? I, I just want nothing but the best for him. 
But it's kind of interesting because I, I started this talking about like, oh, Landry Sham had these injuries and stuff. Luke Kennard's injury history is, is more worrisome. And I feel like that's something that does need to get talked about is he does have bilateral te- uh, knee tendonitis. Mm-hmm. It happened in December. By the time the NBA season kicks off on December 22nd, it will have been exactly a full year since he last played. So like, you know, there are knee issues. He's had foot issues. You know, we're talking about a guy with lower, lower body injuries and those can add up, but the end of the day, they're banking on his lottery talent and how good he was when he was healthy. And you know what? I like the gamble. The more I thought about it, the more I let the emotion, you know, fall to the wayside and actually looked at it, you know, analytically and critically, I agree. It's a good trade especially because of the money that they freed up. As you mentioned, if Montres Hill or, or Marcus Moore Sr. walk away, the Clippers have the non the full non-taxpayer mid-level exception. And that's a big deal to land someone really helpful. On top of that, you have to look at it in the, in the aspect of they now have 33 days to come to an agreement with Luke Kennard on a contract extension, or he will become a restricted free agent next offseason. Who knows? Maybe the Clippers want to see what they have in him first, or maybe they lock him up to a team-friendly deal to get out ahead of this, and he's like a, a, a key rotation piece for the foreseeable future. He's a, he's a young guy still. It's not like, you know, he's this old guy. Like, you, you know, we try to think of these guys. He's been in the league for three years. He's still just 24. Mm-hmm. So there is upside there with him. I think the so you know as observers of a team, um, and, and you know a lot of people listening to this are, are fans of the Clippers. Um, you know, you you tend to sometimes overrate um, your own players, right? Like that, that that's a thing. You, you see the strengths and you, you see the weaknesses too, but you, you kind of focus more on the strengths, and um, you, you just know them so well that uh, you know you, you kind of just view them in a certain light that maybe other teams. Um, you know, or, or media or players or whatever around the league don't view them in that light. And I, th- I think with Landry, um, he was kind of somewhere in that mix in, in terms of just, I, I did think he became a little bit overrated um, and he kind of operated in this uh, kind of potential zone where we were focusing so much on last season. We were focusing so much on, on the thought of him, the theory of him, of what he could be um, that, you know, again, I, I think Landry to Luke Kennard is a, you know, it's a decent upgrade. Like Luke Kennard averaged basically 16, four and four last season. Like Landry has not come close to sniffing those numbers. I think he can potentially, if he is empowered, I mean, Luke Kennard averaged 33 minutes a game last season. So, and was on Detroit and was on Detroit. (laughs) So if you put Landry on a lottery team, you you give him that type of role. I don't know if he gets a 16, four and four, but he's going to put up better numbers. Um, But at the same time, like you got to give Luke Kennard his props and, you know, he's going to slot in as the backup two or three, depending on what the Clippers end up doing with the rest of the bench. We'll see if they add a, a you know, a backup point guard. We'll see what happens with Lou Williams. Um, but he's going to be that kind of backup two, three. I expect him to play, you know, 24 to 28 minutes a night, kind of similar to, to Landry, but potentially even a bigger role. Again, it's going to depend on um, how they fill out the rest of the bench. But uh, you know, what, one thing that you mentioned earlier, like the playmaking and, and ball handling and stuff like, that's important because the Clippers kind of looked at Landry to do that. Remember, uh, you know, back in training camp, we were talking about Landry potentially as the backup point guard or, or Landry doing more secondary ball handling and stuff like that. And it just never really materialized. Like, you know, I remember in preseason kind of hearing 
um, from some of the coaching staff that they weren't in, you know, they kind of gave the keys to Landry in a couple preseason games and weren't impressed with what he did with it. So they did kind of relegate him back to being a shooter. Um, so I, I think, you know, Kennard, the Clippers are going to have to figure out again what they're going to do with the backup point guard spot. Is it is it going to be bringing back Reggie Jackson? Is it signing Rajon Rondo? Is it is it someone else? Um, you know, what happens with Lou Williams? Like there's a lot to still figure out. But I think at a minimum, you have a guy in Kennard who can share those ball handling duties with Lou Williams or, or whoever the backup point guard is. Like he, he can help with that. And I think that's just another weapon that the Clippers didn't necessarily have. And then on top of that, um, you know, for as good as Landry was offensively and, you know, occasionally we have explosions, like Luke Kennard is an explosive scorer. Last season, he only played 28 games, but 10 of the 28 games, he scored 20 or more points. So this is a guy who can, you know, now be. The Clippers already had like five weapons that um, you know were capable of going off for 20 points a night. Probably going to lose one in Montrez Harrell, but now you add another one in Luke Kennard. So I, I do think that overall, um, when looking at the macro of this trade, like it is an upgrade. Um, I, I know some Clipper fans don't want to hear that. It, it's painful. They, they love Landry. They don't want to see him go. But up to this point in their career, if you're being objective, Luke Kennard has been the better player. So it's interesting. So I have a subscription to B-Ball Index who do great work. I looked at them as a comparison this past season, Luke Kennard versus Landry Shaman. I kind of want to see where the differences were, where the similarities, similar shooters, similar, you know, with, with off ball gravity, all these things. Then you got to playmaking and you realize there's a clear gulf here. Like, while Landry Shamit got an A because they graded A to F. He, uh, Landry Shamit got an A in passing efficiency, which is great. Like he's an efficient passer. That's awesome. However, he got an F in playmaking talent and was in the zeroth percentile in passing versatility. Luke Kennard was an A across the board in those three categories. So, like, we're talking about a guy who is a better playmaker. And if you go to their, uh, like, the similarity tool that they have on there, you know, he gets an A in perimeter shooting, A minus in off-ball movement, A in playmaking. His perimeter defense is a C minus, which, you know, I mean, it's okay. Like, you know, it is what it is. However, you start looking at some of the similarities and you get 2014-15 Brandon Knight, 2016-17 Joe Ingles. Then you get to some interesting ones, 2015-16 Matthew Della Vadova and 2015-16 Patrick Beverly. I'm going to be honest with you. If he can do like a hybrid Joe Ingles, Matthew Della Vadova role, you'll take that. Yeah. Like 100%. And not to, not to poo-poo on Landry, who I love, he can't do that. That's not his game. But it can be Luke Kennard's game. That's a very valuable game for a team that only could really try to upgrade on the margins. And you have to nail the margins. And I think they kind of did, even as much as this trade is going to hurt some people. Today's episode is brought to you by Giorgio Armani Aqua Di Joe Parfum. A long-lasting and deeply intense men's fragrance that captures the powerful sensations of nature. The woody aquatic scent features notes of bergamot, clary sage, and patchouli, which create an intensity that is vibrant and aromic. Discover more at GiorgioArmaniBeauty.com. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So the the final two things we'll, we'll touch on quickly. Neither of us are draft guys. Um, I was focusing on you know the, the last kind of 10 picks of the draft, just kind of looking at guys in that range. I, I wrote a story for The Athletic on 10 different prospects um, that I thought would be in that range. Uh, actually, seven of them ended up being in the Clippers range. I think only four of them got drafted. So um, the the Oturo pick uh, was flamed a little bit by some of the people who studied the draft a little bit closer. Um, looking into it, uh, you know, our Mike Vorkanov at, at the Athletic had a, a big board of all the big boards. He, he kind of amassed a aggregate big board. And Oturo was the 45th guy on the big board. Um, so that's a mid second round pick, not an early second round pick. Um, I think ESPN had him ranked as the 37th best prospect. So that also would be a little bit lower than he went. Um, but, you know, looking into his strengths and weaknesses, it looks like he is a strong, powerful, athletic guy, someone who can score inside, finish inside, uh, score on the block, was a good post player, good rebounder. Uh, you know, good shot blocker, made an all defense team for, for his conference. Uh, but the weaknesses uh, and has some pop. He, he can shoot. I think he shot 36 and a half percent on threes last season. Um, you know, was a 20 and 10 guy. So you, you do see that there are some NBA skills there, but his deficiencies are uh, his passing where he, I, I think he had a uh, you know, he had 33 assists last season and 88 turnovers, which is just a ridiculous ratio. Um, and, <laughs> and then he's also someone who can protect the rim, but once you extend him out past basically, you know, five to 10 feet, that's where his lack of lateral quickness starts to hurt him. You know, someone that can be exposed in pick and rolls. Um, so he, he, I mean, I guess the, the shooting makes him a bit of a stretch big and he can block shots and is a bit of a rim protector, but he does not seem like a mobile, um, you know, agile defensive big, which I think the Clippers kind of need when, when we're, you know, talking about some of these guys they should target in free agency it is a guy like an Ibaka, a Tristan Thompson, a Nerlens Noel. Like, does not seem like he is that type of guy defensively. And part of me just wonders, like, um, you know, for, for as good of a job as the Clippers front office has done over the past, you know, three years, that they've basically been a top five, top three front office, uh, in my opinion. The draft has still been a little shaky for this team this decade. And um, you know, aside from the Shea Gilgis Alexander pick. Uh, and maybe Terrence Mann, we'll, we'll see what ends up happening with him. Like there have been a lot of questions and a lot of misses with a lot of their recent picks g- going back, you know, five, five to seven years or so. So I just wonder like, so they, they traded up to draft fee who they took higher than the consensus. I don't want to say he's a bust by any means, but he obviously, you know, the, the thinking was he was a ready now player, right? Like he, he was, I mean, there was some talk at the time of him being able to step in right away, potentially be that third center, like maybe give you some minutes as a fifth big. And, and that just never happened, right? Like he, he only played in blowouts and, and clearly was not ready for the NBA level. And who knows what's going to happen with him? You know, I, I still think he has potential as a three and D center, but um, you, you also look at a guy like Jonathan Motley, who hasn't really panned out in, in terms of like as, as a two-way guy. Um, I just wonder if, uh, you know, for as good as the front office has been, 
is this another miscalculation? Because again, um, this is a guy that they traded up to get at, at a weird, you know, I just, I don't know if he would have gone that high. Like, I, I almost wonder if they could have traded to like pick 45 and, and still gotten him or maybe even stayed at 57 and gotten him or, or maybe traded up higher in the fifties. But to trade up for a guy at 33, you have to be, you know, at this point, like high second round picks have a lot of value. And, and they usually are guys that, um, you know, right on that, obviously they're on the cusp of the first round, but like guys who can step in right away most of the time. So I just wonder what this means. Is this another miscalculation from them? Um, because to be honest, I'm not very high on their draft uh, track record. Um, so th- there are some questions here for me, especially with them being so different on the consensus and this guy, at least based on his scouting report, not being the most modern type of bit, uh, you know, type of big, which I, I think the Clippers need, right? Like th- there were some guys that went behind him um, that projected as more modern types, whether it was a big, uh, a point guard, which could help them out uh, another wing. Like, so I, I do have some questions over why they chose him and why they chose him as high as they did. The one thing that I will say is this is a year unlike any other. And we have to realize this guy hasn't played in nine months. Like, so he's been training in Santa Barbara for nine months, doing all this work, getting everything done, reshaping his body, doing all this work. So maybe they saw something in a workout, you know, that really jumped him up the board to the point where they trade a future second round pick, which I believe was from Detroit uh, Mm -hmm. to nab him The other working theory is if they liked him that much, either a, he's going to carve out himself or carve himself out a role already, or B Fiondo Cabangeli already has a role where he's going to get upgraded into whether that means Montrezl Harrell leaving Jermichael green, leaving maybe even Joe Kim Noah leaving or Cabangeli is getting traded. Um, I will say I'm fine with the pick from the standpoint of I attribute second round picks to swings. They're free swings. And you you should try as many times as possible to swing away on the off chance you get a guy who can help you even for a little while. So I look at that pick and I understand that there's deficiencies in his game and that's totally fine, but maybe they trust the player development staff, which is all new to, to, to help these things out. And maybe the work he's done over nine months has made him either more ready now or able to have a role in the future. So I th- also think it's really tough to evaluate this draft, right? Like these guys haven't played in nine months, some of them even longer. So I, I don't know. Like with Jay Scrub, the other second round pick, like he hasn't played in a while. And, you know, it, it's all projection at this point. And look, maybe neither guy pans out even to be a remotely decent role player, but I'm happy they took the swings at least. You'd rather swing away and go down swing and then not even try at all. We're in agreement in that. Um, I, I just, part of me, like looking at. It's murky. You know, the, it's just like, I, I kind of go back and I'm like, okay, you got the Jerome Robinson pick, right? And, and then you now have the fee pick. Um, Ter- I mean, Terrence, it's it's tough to say. And, and he was such a late pick that um, you don't really expect much out of him right like again i think once you once you get past the top 40 it's just kind of a crap shoot and, and most of those guys aren't ever going to be rotation players let alone like roster players so 
I, I do think like Terren, Terrence is one where it's like, okay, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. Um, and, and there's lower expectations with him. But f- for me, it was more just, I, I've, I, f- I felt like in the draft in recent years, they've taken these swings, but it's been on like older guys who like, I just, again, I'm, I'm going off of a, a scouting report and, you know, multiple scouting reports I read. Um, I'm just like, what is this guy's upside if he is not mobile defensively and, you know, cannot defend pick and rolls, cannot, you know, switch and and just kind of be one of those mobile defensive pieces. Like it just feels like his potential is like a 10 to 15 minute a night scoring big off the bench, like almost like a Mo Spates with like a little bit more rim protection. Oh, you almost got to what I was thinking though. You almost got there. You ready? You ready? Just a taller Montrezl Harrell. Sure. I mean, or I get like Fee or, or Jonathan Motley. Like the, there are a lot of like similarities between the the three where they're like these scoring bigs that can protect the rim. I think Fee is more mobile than Motley or um, Oturo. But overall, like there are some questions about, you know, Fee defensively. There are some questions about, uh, you know, Motley, especially defensively and, and on the glass a little bit. But I, I just wonder, like they all seem to be the same type of player. And I'm like, what is this guy's like when we say take a swing on upside, I'm all for buying into the second round, getting a pick, but what is this guy's upside? Like to me, it's like a 10 to 15 minute a night role player where there were some guys that they passed on. Um, you know, I look at a guy like Tyler Bay or I, I look at Xavier Tillman from Michigan state or, um, you know, just, uh, Robert Woodard, uh, from, from Mississippi state, like even Trey Jones, like some of these guys that fell, I just feel like had higher upside as like potential, eighth men, ninth men where this guy, like, I, I just don't know. I, and again, I could be wrong. And, and if I'm wrong, you know, uh, I'll, I'll eat crow, Yovan. but I, I just, I do, you Yovan. know, I have some reservations. We're, on. we're not meant to understand. <laughs> it's the second round of a draft, but brother, we're just not meant to understand anymore. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Um, we'll, we'll see. Uh, and yeah, but and the, I mean, the other thing too is he's listed at six nine on ESPN. Um, I know he's officially listed at six ten, but if he is closer to six nine, it, it's also kind of like at that range, you would expect the guy to be more mobile defensively and like maybe be able to defend fours and, and go out to the perimeter. And if he is a legit six nine, like you don't even have that seven foot size to really uh, you know man the paint. But Listen, again, when Kevin Gelly, when Kevin Gelly and Arturo lead the Clippers to a title. <laughs> I don't want to hear this ever again. Uh, you, you can you can throw it in my face. <laughs> um, but Justin, let's wrap up with that. Um, where can people find you on Twitter and where can they read your work and listen you to You can find work? me on Twitter at, at flybynight, F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can find me on patreon.com slash flybynight. I do my uh, articles, video breakdowns, player comparisons, stuff like that on there. I have content coming out very soon on uh, breakdown videos of Evita Zubats and Tyloo system, and now Luke Kennard and Tyloo system. So I get to do that one. Um, and you can he- listen to me on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, uh, on the Clip and Roll Podcast. Uh, me and my uh, co-host Farbod, we discussed stuff. Boy, we're gonna have a lot to talk about on our latest one. <laughs> well, if you're not following Justin, make sure to do so and subscribe to his Patreon uh, as well as his podcast. Um, Thank you for coming on, Justin. As always, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Yovan Buha. That's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you have not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so 
off of one of my stories. You could subscribe off of the podcast. Uh, also be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, etc. And by the time this podcast is up, I do think uh, I will have a story up on the Canard trade, uh, the Clippers draft night, and, and just my thoughts overall. Uh, will be similar to this podcast, but I will go more in depth in, in certain things and um, have some more nuggets for you guys. So uh, be on the lookout for that. And I will be back potentially later in the week uh, with some free agency stuff. So be on the lookout for that. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.